Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. This is episode 17. Let's start with an update on the coaching groups. Part of my plan is to use them to look at specific challenges parents affected by ADHD face, how ADHD plays into those challenges, and how to better manage them. So, things like reducing the amount of arguing in the home, creating effective morning routines, and of course, homework, will all be on the table. If you've got a specific challenge you'd like addressed, shoot me an email at brendan at adhdessentials.com and I'll add it to the list. Also, as a heads up, the audio volume in this interview fades in and out a little bit. I did my best to fix it, but done is better than perfect, so please forgive me if today's audio quality isn't quite where it usually is. The content is outstanding though, I promise. If it wasn't, I would have just scrapped it and gone with something else. Anyway, on with the show. My guest today is Kate Barrett. She's the mother of boys and wife of a husband with ADHD, and the founding coach at Coaching Seaville out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Her coaching chops are evident as she talks about the ways she supports her sons who have ADHD and her son who doesn't. Learn more about her at coachingseaville.com. In today's episode, we talk about the power of non-judgmental questioning, reverse contracts, and playing to our strengths. We also talk about the growth Kate and others have seen in her sons as a result of these strategies. All right, let's get rolling. I live in the Baskin Robbins of ADHD. You know, I have several flavors of it in my house. I am married to an ADHD entrepreneur. I have three boys and my older two who are 19 and 17 have ADHD and their 15 year old brother is highly irritated that he is surrounded by ADHD <laughs> on a daily basis. But he rolls with it. You know, he's learned to appreciate the fun and the spontaneity and some of the crazy things that come out of their mouths. <laughs> it really wasn't until my middle guy was diagnosed that we realized we were in the thick of it. And that was in elementary school. We finally got a formal diagnosis when he was in fourth grade, but we knew something was a little off when he was about three and, you know, you sit there and you're watching the preschool Christmas pageant and everybody has been telling us for years, oh, he's just two, oh, he's just three, oh, he's just, he's just, he's just a boy. And he's the only three-year-old boy standing up with 30 other three-year-olds, most of which are boys and bouncing and crashing and just can't sit still and it's just really fidgety and um, I didn't really mind it. I mean, I, I love the energy he brings. He can be rough. Uh, I will not lie. He has destroyed many things in our house over the years and not really intentionally. Not, it's not a temper thing for him. You know, he's just, he's just hard on stuff and um, his impulsivity is usually what gets him into trouble. Uh, but he's really the one that started me on my own personal journey in terms of, you know, becoming a coach, 
figuring out how to help him survive school. Um, I think that's where we really saw the struggles the most for him. And as we saw him struggle, it was interesting to hear my husband's stories unfold from his own school experience. He likes to kind of say he has a bit of PTSD from school. <laughs> okay, I can believe that. Um, yeah, um, it was just not a, not a great experience. He didn't fit into all the holes and uh, he, he came out feeling very um, less than. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to describe it. He was less than his peers and then realized actually he's pretty smart. So he took a, took a, took a hard journey, I, I would say, harder than our kids. So that answers the question I was going to ask about if, you're, if your sons wound up feeling less than and, and if it was not as hard of a journey for them, then they hopefully don't feel less than. Yeah, it was, well, there was definitely a point when they hit middle school. And of course, middle school is hard anyway. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you have ADHD or you know, you're the cream of the crop in the class. Middle school is the level that I taught. So yeah. So yeah, you know, it. I do. I know, <laughs> it, I know middle school very intimately. It's the hardest. I like to think of it as the most ADHD of all of the grades outside of maybe preschool. Oh, yeah. Cause that preschool is like, you're just crazy and all over the place. Cause you're a little tiny kid. Right. Yeah. But middle school is where that divide starts to hit. Middle school is where yes. all of a sudden those executive functions that you don't have start to matter. Yeah. And I think that, that, so for my, my middle guy, the biggest thing for him was he knew underneath that he was just as smart or, or quick and, and witty as his friends, but academically you never really saw it. So, you know, it's definitely when the tracking usually starts in a lot of schools. And so he noticed he was on one track and his friends were on a higher trajectory and and he just said, you know, nobody, nobody thinks I'm smart. So why bother? Yeah. And that really got me. That's really what got my blood pumping was, okay, we need to figure out how to partner better with the school. We need to figure out, um, you know, how to support him at home in a different way than we had before. Cause he, I mean, we've had tutors, we've had, you know, after school stuff, he's qualified in, in elementary school. He qualified for a lot of support in school, even before he had a 504. Um, we went through the 504 process specifically for middle school so that he would be ramped up and have what he needed uh, to make his sixth grade year a success. And sixth grade wasn't so bad. Seventh grade, you know, it was kind of hit or miss. And uh, by then we had actually figured out that his older brother also had ADHD. My oldest, who is a freshman in college this year, Yay. Um, yay. Uh, he was diagnosed in eighth grade and he had a pretty rough eighth grade year, but he had some, you know, I would say about 50% of his teachers were master teachers, fantastic educators. And one of his teachers was his math teacher and he loved, loves math. She said, you know, he's just kind of like Swiss cheese right now. She said, he brains not ready to grasp the material. It's not that he'll never get it. It's just that right now, developmentally, he's not ready to keep all the facts in his head, which was for me, was like one of those beautiful things you could hear from a teacher because it was accurate. It wasn't demeaning. It wasn't um, finite. It was just, here's where he is right now. Here's where I can meet him where he is right now. And she said, he needs to repeat this class. He was an algebra one. He needs to repeat this class next year and he's going to rock it out. And he did. He tutored kids the next year. You know, finally, 
sunk in for him. That's how teachers should approach ADHD. It's not always how they do, um, yeah. but it's how ADHD really needs to be approached is this is where the kid is right now and let's meet him where he is and help him get to where he needs to be with as much support as necessary. That's yeah. really the way to approach ADHD in so many ways because it's developmental. Your brain is not developing as rapidly as your peers. Yeah. And we need to back up and slow down a little bit for you. So that's great to hear that she was doing that. Yeah. So there was frustration for both of them. We ended up, I mean, the older two ended up moving into a private school setting just because at the end of the day, we determined that a smaller classroom was really what their distractions would benefit from. Okay. And they, they thrived, you know, because they were at a point where neither of them wanted to go to college. I hate school. I don't want to go to college. People think I'm never going to make it there anyway, so why bother? putting them in a smaller setting where teachers had fewer students and could make these really amazing connections with each kid in the classroom because they had the time and they had the availability and they had a setup where, you know, at the end of the day, all the kids could go back into those classrooms and ask more questions or finish a test or complete a paper or, you know, it's almost like this free tutoring from your exact teacher. And they really benefited from that. You know, there was a lot of support that came with paying for <laughs> private school. <laughs> it was painful. Uh, but, but my kids now would both say that without that setting, without that change for them, they don't think that they would be college bound. Wow. So for them, it was a really powerful switch. The, the school we chose really, if you think about it from a professional standpoint, I mean, one of their main goals is building resilience in their students mm -hmm. in character as well as academics. So letting them fall without feeling like it's going to mess up their entire next five years of their life and pick themselves back up and show that they can make a mistake, but then also come out of it. Climb the wall, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> resilience is huge for ADHD Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because we fail more because people with ADHD just fail more often. And that's all there is to it. And, and it's because of the executive functioning side of it. Folks with ADHD, their executive functions are not as developed as their peers. Mm -hmm. And so they're not quite ready to tackle the challenges that are being presented to them because they're nine or 10 or 11 or whatever grade, whatever age or grade they are. Right. Mm -hmm. School is based on your born on date. It's not based on what you're ready for. And that's just the way it goes in America. It does. I almost, I almost wish we had like the one room schoolhouse in, you know, that, that was where American education started, where you do have all these different ages and grades blending in and you just become a student. Right. As opposed to, you know, oh, when you pass this grade or whatever it yeah. might be. As a former teacher, I can tell you that that would be a nightmare. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a reason those schoolhouses were so tiny. Yeah, too. <laughs> they had like eight kids. If it was eight kids, I could yeah. swing it. But once you start talking 20, 25, I no know, way right? could I teach a 10-year-old and an 18-year-old and everyone in between. It's just too many different. It would be crazy. Too many, too many different needs and levels to pay attention to for one human being. I, what I'd like to what I'd like to ask you about is where where did the challenges come up as with regard to ADHD? What were the what were the challenges, and then how did you address them? And one one way obviously is that you sent your kids to a private school, 
But even right. I'm assuming even within the context of private school, there were still challenges and there were challenges before private school that you were trying to tackle and trying to manage. What strategies did you use and both ones that worked and didn't work? And how did your approach evolve as you started to get into coaching and as you started to learn more about ADHD? How did, how did things change and what was successful and what was not successful? We did reward charts and we had reward jars when the kids were younger. We had this big random activity jar where, you know, if we had a, a good day, everybody could pull an activity out and we'd get to go do it. It could be anything from, you know, making art, something simple and easy at home to going out for an ice cream cone. So what defined a good day? <clears throat> so a good day for them would be, you know, if mom says it's time to clean up the playroom we clean up the playroom and it gets, it gets done. So if, if, uh, if I asked for them to do something specifically and it was, the tasks were completed, we had a good day. All my kids are all close together. So fighting that happens. Right. <laughs> so there was not, we didn't have a huge behavioral issue. I don't think, although my husband might disagree. We found uh, a little sidebar. We found some old videos <laughs> from when my middle guy, Stuart was probably like, seven and he started watching them and he said he started getting how heart palpitations like the the memories of how hard it felt for him to parent Stuart was just came flooding back and he said and then I thought wow look at where he is today because he's a totally different kid he was kind of a nightmare at times but he's wide open I think that's you know if you weren't willing to be okay with a wide open kid and kind of you know the strategies we had to use with him were initially the ones that didn't work were your typical parenting ones, you know, don't do that. That's not allowed. You know, that's not, that's not something we do. And he always wanted to know why, you know, why is that not allowed? Yep. Tell me why, give me a justification. So he was very challenging and still is to this day. He wants justifications. He wants reasoning. I have a kid we like have that. discussions. Yeah. And so that for us was challenging as a parent because our oldest just took everything at face value. Okay. He's also got anxiety, so maybe that has a lot to do with it. Um, whereas Stuart would just push the buttons. Mm -hmm. um, so we tried timeout. That eh, I'm not a big timeout fan, so that really didn't it didn't sit well with me. It didn't necessarily change anything for Stuart. Yep. We kind of threw those out. And it's it's great to hear that your husband was able to have that perspective of yeah, but look at how far he's come. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Because some of the people listening to this are probably thick in the weeds right now of, oh my God, this is so hard. My kid is constantly challenging and pushing and, and I don't even know what to do right now. So it's nice to be able to share with them that there's hope that you're going to get to the point where your kid is 17, 18, 19 years old. And you're going to look back at this time and you're going to go, wow, we've made a lot of progress. <laughs> yeah. That'll happen. And you just kind of, you have to keep working and it, it's not easy. It's not an easy process, but you have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and you have to be a little patient. Yeah. And you have to recognize it that is. the long term is what we're aiming for, not exactly this moment. Yeah. And even, the, you know, their brains can't even think long term. And when you're in that moment, you're thinking, oh, I suck as a parent. I, I, this is awful. We are never going to survive this. You know, you start giving, you know, throwing out your own negative language and stories. And, you know, you just have to kind of learn to step back and go, okay, what's, what about this moment? is hard or what about right now is hard you know it's not permanent this is we i just need to breathe so i started breathing a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that was my own little day. Okay, I need to walk away. So I would, you know, whereas timeout didn't necessarily work for them, I could actually say, mommy needs to go. So I could come back and be that parent that I wanted to be, but I didn't feel necessarily like I was. So what worked? So when Stuart hit middle school, we knew things were going to get a little rough. And, you know, he had lost some friends just because he's so wide open. And there were certain parents that he knew probably didn't want him at his house because he was loud. And he's also in the 99th percentile for weight and height for his age group. So at 17, he's 6'6". Holy cow. And he's always looked, so his brother's 18 months older than him. He's always looked like he's the older brother because he's always been taller. He's always been broader was always mistaken on top of having ADHD and, and being a little more immature than his peers. He looked like he should be more mature and, and physically older. So he almost had a double whammy, but there were certain parents that just loved him. And he was an angel when he went to their houses, they had boundaries. Okay. And that's kind of when we realized, okay, he just really needs some boundaries and he needs redirection without guilt if you yeah. will, or without judgment. Yeah. And so a lot of it, um, when I started getting more into the, the practice of coaching and learning more about coaching, I started talking a little bit differently to him and actually kind of parent to parent coaching my own husband about the way we approached problems that we were having if he was not following up or not listening or <clears throat> not completing a task, you know, instead of the typical response of why is your crap everywhere? Why are you not doing this? Why are you, why, why, why? Uh, which really just gives you the assumption of you shoulda yep. and you stink. And I told Mike, I said, you know, you, we've got to kind of really rethink about, rethink how we're asking him questions. So for example, Stuart is, uh, he leaves a trail everywhere he goes, <laughs> you know, trail of Stuart. It could be a sock, a, a pen, clothes, towels, whatever. You know exactly where he's been. He leaves every light on, even though he knows he should, you know, should be turning lights off. And yes, like I should pick things up off the floor. And at the end of the day, I looked at Mike and I said, is it a deal breaker? Is it a deal breaker? And he said, no, not really. And I said, it's just who he is. All we can do is just gently remind him because one day he will know on his own and internalize this that, oh yeah, I should be doing it. And I said, but we don't need to make him feel guilty every time he leaves a towel on the floor. You know, why can't you pick your crap up in the you know bathroom? It's a mess. Well, he knows it's a mess. And so just shifting our questions from those close ended why, you know, or aren't you, you know, expecting a yes or no answer or a because is not going to give us any information or help him in the process. So you know, if something wasn't working, shifting that, shifting those questions to, Hey, what, what about this is really hard for you today? I'm noticing that there's a lot more stuff on the floor and normally you're really, you're much neater than this. What's going on today. And it's amazing what they'll tell you when you ask them in a non-judgmental, you know, curious manner. And so it, you know, the answer could go from fine, I'll do it to you know, I don't think I slept very well last night and I'm really stressed out about a test or I'm really stressed out about my coach who yelled at me today. And then we have a conversation that's not even necessarily related to why the stuff's on the floor, but, but can help him process and unpack 
what's going on that's really getting in the way of his executive function. Because you're treating the clothes on the floor like a symptom, not like a problem. Right. And, you know, so things for him that really work, Stuart is your classic rewards kind of kid. He thrives on rewards. He thrives on immediate rewards. Um, my husband didn't always buy into that. He shouldn't get a reward just for showing up. And I said, well, no, this is, this is not like the, you know, the medal you get just for being on a team. <laughs> that's, not, that's not where we're going with this. I said, but, you know, he needs positive reinforcement that this is the right, the right direction for him in order for his brain to keep, keep on that excited trajectory of, yeah, I'm doing the good stuff. Uh, so a lot of feedback was possible. His nickname is Bling because he likes shiny things. <laughs> he loves new um, and he rolls with it. Uh, and we tried to as well. So money worked for a while and then that got boring. So we had to find another currency. And so then for a while it was, you know, you can ride the, you know, mule. We have a mule that they can ride around on that. You can ride the mule today if you want. Okay, cool. We would, try mike wanted to do more like long-term rewards and i said yeah that's that's probably not going to work so well yeah, in general that doesn't work so well for adhd you gotta you gotta hit it quicker than that yeah i think for him for for stewart in particular the best strategy we ever used for him was a reverse contract can you walk us through that yeah um it's my favorite it's my favorite thing to actually talk about when i'm talking to parent groups because it's, it was just so magical for him. So effectively in a reverse contract, you get that reward up front because it's so hard to wait, particularly if you're looking for something long-term. So uh, the first reverse contract we did with Stuart was regarding medication because he was on medication, but he had to go to the nurse and take it after lunch. And there's a lot of stigma in his, in his mind about going and taking medication. So he didn't want to do it. He resisted. I can see that. Yeah. And it didn't surprise me. He also really, really, really wanted a new baseball glove. He's a baseball player. And I was not willing to buy the fancy the one. The shiny one? Oh, yeah. And it was, you know, beautiful, custom color, soft, amazing new glove. And I said, yeah, you know, that's an expensive glove. And he said, I know, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to work for it. And I thought, oh, game on. <laughs> So I said, I'll get you the glove, but in order for you to have that glove now in time for baseball season, I would like for you to be open to just trying for six weeks to see if we can build habit of you going to the nurse and taking your medication after lunch. And he said, six weeks? I said, yeah, six weeks. Just give me six weeks. And he's like, ah. All right, fine. And I said, you get three strikes. So we went all, we totally tied in baseball. You get three strikes. So he could forget three times or purposely forget, you know, and it didn't really say what, there was no condition. It just three strikes and the glove comes back, comes back to me, you lose the glove. So that you add that fear factor for his brain of, oh, I don't want to lose this thing that I really love. I have to keep motivating myself to, to do the one thing that I really don't want to do. And he did it. He went every day and he knew the nurse was going to tell me if he didn't go and take his medication. And every day we kind of have a, a download. Okay. How was today? Fine. After about a weekend, he said, you know what? 
there are a heck of a lot of kids I know that go and take medication from the nurse during lunch. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, I had no idea. And he starts listing off all these, did you know so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so also have ADHD? And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So then it actually broke down the stigma just to get him to get out of that negative story in his head. You know, everybody's going to think I'm, I'm less than because I have to take medication. Yeah, because that gives you the me too. Yes. Or you right. too in this case, right? I'm not the only yeah. one. But it also showed him that there's all these other kids and you didn't know about it. So no one yeah. necessarily is going to know that you're going just like they are. Lots of kids that you're worried about finding out are also not going to know because you didn't know either. So it's a yeah. double whammy. That was our first contract. Mm -hmm. And I will say that the one flaw that I had, because Stuart and I actually wrote it together. So that was the other thing. We wrote it together. We signed it. We had a couple drafts. It was a great exercise for both he and I, and it was a partnership. And I think he really liked that too, because he could take ownership. It wasn't just mom, you know, this is the law. Right. And, uh, but at the end of the six weeks, he said, all right, I'm done. I don't need to take my medication anymore. Right. <laughs> I thought, oh, I missed that part. And so we actually ended up having a great conversation. And I said, well, you know, I want you to think about the last six weeks and how school has been different or not different. Let's talk about that. And so we had this great 30 minute conversation about what's working, what's not working. Is the medication helping? What do we not like about it? What do we like about it? And um, it was probably the first real conversation that we had together about using medication as a tool and how it can be helpful at his age. You know, we'd always, that was the other, that's the other big thing I think that parents are afraid of is talking about medication with their kids. Like, why are you on it? Why, right. you know, you know, at what age do you talk about it? And at what age should you talk about certain things? And I thought, man, you know, I wish I had had this conversation a couple years earlier. So that he can be more, a little more aware of what's going on and more mindful and purposeful around the decision. Right. And he's, you know, he's definitely, he's had, you know, like most ADDers who he's tried life without medication and he's tried it with, and he goes back, he's flip-flopped back and forth. We dealt with it this year at the beginning of his senior year. I, I think I'm good. I'm in a good spot. I'm not taking super, super challenging, you know, heavy load this year. So I think I can manage it without my meds. And I said, all right, let's see how it goes. And he went to school the first day and he came back. He goes, oh, I need those things. <laughs> like that was really hard. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, he's motivated. He's, he's very, he's got, you know, if you can find that spark in your kid, that is that is the magic that really is the magic what's going to drive them even if it's even if they don't like so if you're talking about academics even if they don't like a specific subject or class if the teacher is amazing that can spark something in your kid um you know stuart will move mountains and give you 125 percent if you accept him for who he is if you set boundaries if you set realistic expectations and if he screws up you give him a way to figure out how to climb out of that hole that he's dug himself in you know it may not be a perfect climb and he may not you know go from zero to a hundred but just to give him a pathway so that he can start thinking about okay so if this happens again or if i don't want this to happen 
this is the path I want to take. And I think for him, that's where the ownership really came in in high school. And it wasn't until halfway through high school that he really said, you know what, I think, I think college is for me. And I think this is how I'm going to get there. And here's my plan. And this is what I need to do. That's great, though. That's great to hear. And to know what motivates your kid. That's so important. It's so important to be able to sit down with your, with your kid and talk to them about what's going on, what's hard, what yeah. makes it easy, what do you like about it, what do you not like about it, how come you were successful this time as opposed to last time, to learn really what drives them and what motivates them, and to have them be able to be honest with you about that. I think for, for Stuart, the big turnaround was to just accept that ADHD is not going to go away. This is not something that's just going to disappear overnight. But the more as a parent that we were able to recognize those leaps and bounds he was making and give him that feedback, hey, you know, last year you really seemed to struggle with this. This year, this is what I'm noticing. And it's really cool for me to see that you're, you know, what's different. And, you know, he'll give you, he's honest. You know, the kids are honest. They're going to tell you if you ask them for their feedback, they're going to tell you like it or not. (laughs) As a parent, for you as a parent, what's been hard with ADHD? What's been, what's been good about it? Sort of how has it affected you as a person? Ooh, you know, there, I think when the kids were younger, finding, finding your parental tribe can be a little harder because there are, there is judgment that you get as a parent, you know, oh, well, you're feeding your kid too much sugar or well, clearly you don't have parenting skills or whatever it might be like, oh, my kid would never do that. There's all this comparison that is just so unnecessary in our lives. (laughs) And so finding those parents who go, yeah, you know, that's who he is. And we love the crazy in him. You know, we love that he's wide open. We love that he's generous. Um, You know, so finding those parents that innately look for the strengths in everyone, that for me was a journey in terms of finding, you know, okay, who do I really, who do I want to let in my tribe? Who gets to know all the dirty laundry that, that is my parenting in my house? That's a really good point. That's one of the challenges that I've had as a parent is to find the families that we connect with and then click with best. Yes. Um, and I like the way you said the, the parents that, that specifically look for the strengths in, in the kids. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of it that way before but that's really an excellent point i mean they're kids right they're kids 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 are humans in general we're gonna screw up you're supposed to yeah that's how you learn right and um just you know like i have one girlfriend who's a school teacher she's a kindergarten teacher oh my gosh (laughs) she's the best person ever You know, I would say, oh, is he behaving at your house? You know, how did, how did tonight go? And she said, oh, he's great. She said, you know, whenever he gets off track, I just have to gently redirect him like I would my kids. And yep. he's totally fine. As long as I draw the boundary, he stays within it. Because Stuart values that friendship that he has with her kid, he'll do whatever that mom says. And so finding those parents that could just go, you know, it's great. I mean, the, the beauty of Stuart you know, he was hard when he was awake, when he, particularly when he was younger, because he's one of those kids that he wakes up and doesn't start moving and talking until his head hits the pillow again. Right. But his head hit the pillow consistently at nine o'clock at the latest every night. And he slept from the time he was a baby. He was a great sleeper. So he's always been 
the favorite for sleepovers because he couldn't stay up. <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, I think that's, you know, probably why he's so ginormous now. You know, he got great sleep yep. all the way through his entire life. I'm glad you contextualized that to sleepovers because you started with he's hard when he's awake, which is a really broad statement. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's funny. I mean, he's really, <clears throat> he's my most persistent of my kids. And, but the thing is, if he wants something, he will figure out how to get it. He's a go-getter. He's a self-starter if it's interesting. Uh, if it's not interesting, man, yeah, good luck getting him off the couch. Um, there's a lot of reasoning and negotiating that usually goes on. But uh, I think, yeah, I think <clears throat> that was really hard as a parent. And then when they got to school, figuring out how to best approach school I know that can be, that's usually a big struggle for a lot of parents. I've kind of always been the fence mender kind of person. Mm -hmm. You know, I love to look at all different sides. And so I would always try and take that parental perspective and shift it to, if I was the teacher and I was going to receive a letter from a parent, what, what would be helpful? Right. Because <laughs> saying, you know, my kid's not thriving in your classroom that's not really helpful. How does that help? There's no information other than I'm not happy. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, or maybe I'm sending the message of, I don't think you're doing a good job. And that's not really what I wanted to say. Uh, <clears throat> so I started in kindergarten writing a uh, Stuart manual is what we ended up calling it, the Stuart manual. And so you would get a letter from us before school even started. You know, we're so excited to be in your classroom. This is who my kid is. This is what's great about him. This is what you might find hard in the classroom um, and where he might get derailed. This is what has worked for us at home. This is what might have worked in other classrooms when certain things happen. So for example, you know, if he got too fidgety, I would say, you know, a lot of, a lot of times we find it's helpful to maybe send him on an errand or when he, you know, when there were erasers, clap erasers. Um, you know, do something physical, get up and move. And so literally from the time he was in kindergarten, doing an errand up to the front office was kind of his jam. You know, if, if he was out of sorts, he just had to kind of take a walk and he would come back and his teachers would go, wow, that, that's magic. So just kind of being that advocate for him in the very beginning. To even be able to write that manual requires a great deal of awareness of your kid. Like you really have to understand your kid to be able to write that manual. Because even as we're talking, I'm sitting here going, what would I put in a manual for my kid? Like, what, what would I put in a manual for those two? And the, the thing that jumps out for me most, um, and the listeners hopefully know by now, I have identical twin sons. And one really needs the nurturing teacher, and the other uh -huh. one needs the stricter teacher. Yep. And they, we've split them up twice now, and it, both times the one who needed the nurturing teacher got the strict teacher, and the one who needed the strict teacher got the nurturing teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I went and told the principal yesterday, literally, I was like, look, this is just what, this is part of what's going on and why my kid's struggling this year. And she wrote a, took a note down and meant like to record that for next year. Um, and I also have now keeping notes about what's going on yeah. and what they need so that next year I can lead in with, this is what's up with my kids. And here's how you can best teach them because just like you're saying, I want my kid to be successful, but I also want the teachers to be successful. I want them to enjoy my, my kid. It's so important. Like, you know, Stuart, one year, I think it was ninth grade. He, um, 
he landed in a math class with a brand new teacher straight out of college. And I thought, oh, this is going to go really well, or this is going to be a hard year. And to her credit, I mean, she, <laughs> she had probably the worst environment for teaching my kid in the class setting because she had this amazing, beautiful building uh, room that was three walls of windows. Wow. And yeah. So you had a lot of great natural light, which is fantastic. But the location of her classroom was in the alleyway in between the main building and, um, and she was in the math building, which is behind the, the larger part of the school. And across, directly across from her classroom in the main building was the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, you know where this is going. And Stuart had her classroom the period right before lunch. Oh. He's tired from trying to pay attention all day all, or all morning. He's starving. She's got windows. There are cars and people going by those windows half the time during class. And we, I went for the first six weeks conference and, you know, you're only supposed to get 15 minutes. And I ended up sitting with her for over an hour, wow. just kind of talking interventions. You know, this is what you can do. And she said, I think I have like six kids in my classroom that have ADHD. And I said, you could, it's very possible. And she said, and he just is like the Pied Piper. He leads them off into this space. And I said, he can. <laughs> <laughs> she said, he keeps asking if we know. We, I love this kid because he will self-advocate pretty well. And that's just a, a natural thing for him, thankfully. And so he would always ask her, can we, can we teach today? Can we teach the lesson? And she'd go, absolutely not. You can't teach the lesson. Why? I'm not going to trust you to teach the lesson. And I thought, oh, yeah. okay. And I said, well, this is where that's coming from. Because the teacher the year before had let them take turns teaching. And they weren't, would not to critique each other, but to actually show mastery. Right. And, and then if they didn't get something quite right, the teacher could correct it. They could have a great class discussion. It gave each kid a, a chance to shine. And Stuart loved it. And so I explained that to her and she said, oh, okay, that makes sense. That, that teaching a lesson idea, right? That's investment. That's accountability. That's taking ownership. Yeah. Like there's a lot in there that's valuable for the kid. And clearly for Stuart, like he clearly really likes that ownership side of things. Oh, that clearly yeah. is a motivator yeah. for him. Just in the stories you've told and the areas you've been, that have been successful for him, a lot yeah. of it is around giving him ownership of what is happening. He definitely, he needs to feel like you're invested in him in order for him to be invested in everything you want him to be invested in, particularly if it's not fun right. or not interesting, or if he feels that it's a struggle. Yeah. And he's funny. Like he pegged her the first week he came home and he said, mm, this is going to be a, this is going to be an interesting year in math class. And I said, Oh Lord, what, you know, tell me what's going on. He said, I don't think my math teacher has very good classroom control, mom. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> this is going to be a bad year for her. But he actually would have, he admitted at the end of the year, he said, you know what, mom, pretty amazing. And he had her again last year. He just kind of cycled back into, toward, into her as junior year in high school. And, and of course, you know, she, it, was neat, it was neat to hear her reaction. And it was funny to hear his. You know, he said, oh, man, mom, yeah, you can tell she's been teaching a couple years now. She was great. 
And the first thing she said to me, I ran into her the first week of school and she said, who is this kid in my classroom? Like, this is night and day, Stuart. Like, I'd, I, I'm so excited. I have had no idea that he had this in him. And it's really nice to see this growth and development. And, and she recognized it. And that brings up that theme again, right? Of just, there's going to be growth. You've got to, yeah. you've got to know that that's going to happen as a parent of a kid with ADHD. And you're not going to see it, right? Because you're so yeah. close to it. You're not going to notice. You're not going to notice the, the significant changes. But having video from the past that you pull out every now and then as sort of a check or having those people that you only see infrequently and giving them permission to let you know. Because yeah. there's not everybody, but there's some people that you've got that kind of a relationship with. A teacher's going to mm -hmm. let you know because they're a teacher and that's part of the job description is to say. Yeah. But if you've got a particularly good relationship with an aunt or an uncle that you don't see that often or, or your parents, maybe your parents live on the other side of the country and you only see them so often and you can take that criticism. Sometimes that's hard because you feel like your parent is criticizing you as a parent. So that's yeah, challenging. Yeah. But if you have the relationship where they can give you that kind of feedback and they're comfortable doing it, sort of queuing that up in advance, right? Like, hey, just kind of pay attention to my kid and how, how are they doing might be a good way to get that bigger view. It's fun to like, to look back and do some comparisons. My parents actually live in the town we're in. Mm -hmm. So they've seen Stuart from birth through, you know, all my kids, they've been present for their entire lives, which is pretty cool from our perspective. Um, and it's been interesting because they, they will actually give the kids feedback now as they're older, you know, my dad in particular, you know, tells them how proud he is and how far they've come and what, you know, you're a strong, capable young man and you're going to go places. And I'm really proud of who you're becoming and your drive. And what about your youngest child who doesn't have ADHD? Oh my goodness. So there, you know, about a, three or four years ago, Mike and I were sitting down and he said, you know, I feel like we're neglecting him. I feel like he's not, like he's getting shafted. I bet that he's resonates like, with a lot of people listening right now. Yeah. He said, I, I feel like he's getting shafted because he is so easy compared to the other two. He doesn't need as much, you know, support in terms of executive function and monitoring and feedback. And, um, you know, he can pretty much run on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And he's super bright and very inquisitive and very interested in things. And he kind of goes off and does his own stuff. And I said, you know, you're, you're probably right about that. And uh, I said, you know, what do you want to do about it? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to, I said, well, let's have a conversation with them. Let's, you know, we have conversations with our other kids. Let's talk to him about it. And, and my husband is the baby of four boys. So there's a little bit of that, you know, he's the baby. The baby always gets shafted kind of. <laughs> anyway as the baby oh, yeah. in my family that was not my experience oh <laughs> uh, well I'm glad to hear that you know my husband's like I never had a baby book I never had this I never had that we're gonna make sure he has those things um and so yeah so we just sat down and we had a conversation with him and we're like you know we know that your brothers kind of require a lot of our energy a lot of times and you have this ability to just kind of do your own thing and we just want to check in. How are you? You know, what do you need? What do you wish? 
you know, would start happening. And what we did as parents then was we thought, you know, it's really time to start giving him some one-on-one time away from the craziness and the crazy schedules and not dragging him along with us to everything if he didn't want to go. And it meant that we weren't necessarily with him together. But so we would break off and he'd get one-on-one time with me. He'd get one-on-one time with his dad. And there are different, you know, like most parents, there are different things you want to do with your mom versus your dad. And, uh, and so, you know, Drew and I are travel buddies. There were several years in a row where we would go to Williamsburg because we're really close to Williamsburg and Jamestown. And he loves that era of history. So we would just go and walk the streets and eat at our favorite places and talk about colonial history. That's cool. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of, it kind of became a little thing, you know, this is Drew's weekend. And um, because the boy, the other two, because they were super involved in their sports, they kind of had a lot of weekends already with us. And that's really, yeah, that's really the conversation that started with Drew. And he's actually pretty good. Like now that we opened that conversation, he's much more comfortable to coming to us and saying, Hey, I'd really like to do this, you know, or I really am tired of baseball. Can I just bug out on this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think what we also did was give him some descriptions of ADHD so that he could kind of figure out, Oh yeah, that's totally my brother. Yeah. I get that now, you know, yes, I know it's not intentional or that's just the way Stuart is. Mm -hmm or that's the way Jackson is, or, you know, that's the way your dad is. And uh, it just gave him a a little, give him more language and understanding because he's got friends that have ADHD and he knows it. He doesn't necessarily care that they have ADHD, but it does give him some context so that he can go, yeah, yeah, that's probably going to happen. Well, that's, that's okay. That's opening up sort of an internal conversation, right? You mentioned mm-hmm. opening up the conversation with you and your husband about, hey, I want some time or, hey, I, I just need to not do baseball this week. Teaching him about ADHD is also letting him open up a conversation with himself about, yeah, my brother's kind of driving me nuts right now, but he, he's supposed to. Like, that's a thing that happens with kids who have ADHD and it's part of the disorder and I can yeah. manage that for today. And it's interesting, like, you know, mentioning, like talking about Drew, so Drew's my youngest, and talking about him in particular, the older two refer to him as the smart one. Okay. And, and that really, that made me sad when they, when they started referring to him. And they started referring to him as the smart one when he was in fourth grade. And, uh, and I said, you know, let's, I said, you're all smart. So that opened up a whole different conversation. How are we all smart? Let's talk about our, and so then now we all talk about each other's strengths, you know, what you're really good at, what, what you're, you know, maybe what you struggle at is something that your brother or your parent is amazing at. And so they've come to really appreciate what makes each of them unique, Mm -hmm. you know, so they, so instead of saying, yeah, Drew's the smart one. Now they say, well, Drew is the one that just can learn in any format school's easy for him. And that's why, because he just gets it no matter how you throw it at him. And that's hard for me, or, you know, that's hard for my brother or whatever it might be. And, uh, whereas Drew hates speaking in front of large crowds, but Stuart is all about that. You know, whereas Jackson, who is my quiet, super sensitive ADD, um, his strength is, 
um, community, you know, and just judgment. Uh, he, he loves to create a space just naturally for everybody in his world where they feel safe and they can tell him whatever. And they know that he's like a steel trap. It's not going to leave the room and he's not going to judge them for it. And he's just really, it's almost like he's a natural coach. You know, he's just going to internalize and hold that space for them so they can process whatever they're going through. And he'll be there as a friend. And that's why people love Jackson because he's got this huge sense of justness and what's right and wrong and that everyone should be loved. And yeah, I th- each of my kids is amazing for different reasons. Yeah, that, and so. that's great. It's great to have that focus. And I, I think that's a good point to end on is to be tuned into your kids' strengths and, and help them identify not just their strengths, but also the strengths of their siblings and their mom and their dad and, and the people around them so that, so that they can accept it that, that even though they might have some weaknesses, that they do have strengths and, and they can outsource their weaknesses if they need to. Absolutely. <laughs> Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.